You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. When the church fails you, don't give up on Jesus. Because listen, the church is a very, very, very imperfect entity. The church fails the church. God's people fails God's people. A lot of the print in this holy inspired book is about God's people who failed one another. And the schisms and the divisions and the assumptions, wrong assumptions. And ultimately our hope is not in the church, it's in Jesus. When you seek Christians to help you or the church to guide you, you may end up disappointed. There are times when believers are in tune with God and able to help you. However, Christians are flawed humans who may end up failing you. Today, Pastor Danny will encourage you to never give up on God, even if disappointed by the church. You must turn to God personally through prayer and in His Word, seeking His help above all other sources of assistance. He'll never disappoint or fail you. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 9, as he continues his message, A Parent's Need to Grow in Faith. disciples could have cast the demon out had they been more prayed up, spiritually mature, or spiritually prepared. Now, I don't know how else you can take that. How come we couldn't do it? This kind comes out only by prayer. You weren't prepared, whatever. Now, what we're not told are the details of the argument that's going on when Jesus, Peter, James, and John come back down from the Mount of Transfiguration. But that's what our text says. When they came down, they saw the other disciples, they're arguing with the teachers of the law. And the context of the argument, the context of the argument is over the nine apostles still down in the valley seeking to minister, failing to help this father and his son. And here we can speculate a little bit, not try to distort the word, But what did the argument go like? I I don't know. But did the teachers of the law say, see there, you guys have no power? And did they say back and say, it had nothing to do with us. His father doesn't have enough faith. You know, I don't know what happened and what it was like, but that's the context of the argument. Their failure to help this father and his son. And I just noted spiritual warfare can be mysterious. For example... You go to Daniel chapter 10, Daniel's given a prophetic word by the Lord about a future war uh, in the end times. Uh, Daniel is troubled. He doesn't doesn't understand, and so he prays. He partially fasts, has no choice food, and so he's praying and fasting, and the Lord sends an angel in response to to his prayer. Uh, Daniel is so amazed by the angel, he faints. So majestic, this angel, or fantastic. 
Majestic, that's the Lord. But uh, a hand touched me, verse 10, set me trembling on my hands and knees. He said, Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. Stand up, for I've now been sent to you. And when he said this to me, I stood up trembling. And then he continued. Don't be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard. From the very moment he prayed, God heard him. And I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. That's someone, an angel, fallen angel serving Satan. Three weeks. There's spiritual warfare is going on that you can't see with the naked eye. Then Michael... One of the chief princes, a high-ranking angel serving the Lord, he came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Isn't that fascinating? And yet mysterious. Because part of you goes, wait a minute, how come God didn't send Michael right away? And you start to wonder, well, maybe Michael was busy somewhere else. You know, they can only be in one place at one time. I don't know, but it's mysterious. Then you go to places like 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 17, and this is the Apostle Paul writing, verse 17, brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did, then and again and again. But Satan stopped us. No explanation, no detail given, just a simple statement, Satan stopped us. We're talking about the likes of the Apostle Paul. I hand wrote, it is not always God's will that Satan gains an advantage in our lives. Sometimes Satan is strong because we are spiritually weak. That's why Ephesians 6 says, put on the full armor of God. And that's why Ephesians 4 says, don't give the devil a foothold. So there's some mystery in regard to spiritual warfare. Sometimes it's not our fault. We have nothing to do with it. It's just this mysterious warfare going on in the sovereign plan and timing and will of God. But other times we can give Satan a foothold. Other times we could have won the battle if we'd have been more spiritually prepared. You with me? You're nodding. So you get that. So I got that and I had my notes what I thought completed and I was starting to breathe that sigh of relief like I've done the work I got what the text says and and I had my notes and what I want to give you in a very brief amount of time before I move on is the summary of the notes that I had completed and yet never felt satisfied with never felt like it's done that that's what I want you to say now I think these are some great points from the text um, but it's not where I ended up landing. Practical reminders about faith. And, I, and again, these are a very brief summary, all right? Um, faith is progressive. Jesus in the boat, asleep. Don't you care that we drown? Jesus off on the mountain looking at the disciples, praying. They don't see him. He sees them. Uh, Peter coming out of the boat, walking on water in the midst of the storm. Progression of faith. If you got saved a year ago, God doesn't expect you to act like a 10-year-old Christian. No more than a parent should expect their one-year-old to act like a 10-year-old. Now, we do have 10-year-olds that act like one-year-olds. I get that. That's a subject for another time. But uh, faith is progressive. Faith is also a gift. All right? I was going to elaborate more on this, but again, that's not where God had me land. Uh, faith is also an act of the will. So it's a gift, but it's also an act of the will. You can resist faith. God wants to give you faith. You say, I, 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 no, I don't want. You resist it. And then last, faith is not a means of getting whatever we ask for. 
That's why you can't take verse 23 out of context. Everything is possible for him who believes. There's some in the church that say, if I just had more faith, I'd get the Mercedes. You know, not, that's not the way it works in the context of Scripture. Nevertheless, if our faith is weak, what we could have had, you know, we could have had what God wanted in the will of God, but we didn't because our faith was weak. Okay, you got that. And then uh, I was going here, essentials for increased faith. And some of these are for very clear in Scripture. Prayer, right from our text. This kind come on, comes out only by prayer. Uh, the Word of God. Uh, faith comes by hearing, hearing the Word of God. I mean, all this is good stuff. And life experiences. Deuteronomy, God led them in the wilderness wandering. He caused them to hunger. And the thirst, why? To teach them that man does not live on bread alone. You summarize that whole thing. And, and again, all of scripture in the context, well, here's what God's trying to teach people. Live by faith. No matter what your circumstances. No matter if you see God, feel him, you know, whatever, it, you trust him. And you can trust him. But in the circumstances, sometimes you go, I don't know if I can trust God. And God's going, you can trust me. He wants to teach you, teach us that he can, he can be trusted. So, there it is. So I completed my notes, and, and I'm just feeling this tugging. I, I take it from the Holy Spirit like you're not done yet. I get desperate uh, after I read the text again, and uh, nothing really kind of glaring. And so I go online, and I listen to Alistair Begg on this text. And I thought there's going to be something I can steal. I, I mean, some, something I can borrow. <laughs> borrow. I mean, Alistair Begg, surely he got something to say I can borrow. And a 45-minute great message, you know, by Alistair Begg. But it was like, it was a good message, Alistair, but sorry. I wanted to call him up. If I had a cell phone, I would have said, thanks for the message, but it didn't help me at all. (laughs) And so as I continued to labor, and it was a labor of love, here's what God gave me. When the church fails you, don't give up on Jesus. This father does not come to just any of Jesus' disciples. He comes to nine apostles. Folks, you can't get higher up in the leadership of the church than these guys. I mean, even in the context of where I live and all the people that become part of our family here, and you want to have lunch with me or you want to get together with me or you want counseling from me, they've come to the apostles, the apostles. This father and this, they come brings his son to the apostles and they can't help him. I mean, what did it look like? Did they lay hands on the guy? In the name of Jesus. We aren't told those details. But whatever they did, whatever the prayer, whatever the attempt, it didn't work. So Jesus comes down, the father voices in front of everybody. I brought my son to your disciples and they couldn't, they couldn't do anything. And Jesus' response was frustration. Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And you have to ask the question, who's he frustrated with? The nine apostles? The father? Let me tell you my opinion. All of the above plus, he's frustrated with a world that he's come to as a human being Every time he turns around, even people he's privately tutored. And he says again and again, 
Peter's sinking. Why did you doubt? In the storm, he woken up. Don't you care that we drown? Where's your faith? After he calms the storm and stops the waves. Why? Where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? It's again and again and again. Matthew chapter 6, the whole context. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil or spin. Solomon was arrayed more than them. And they, they done not. Listen, God, if you close the grass of the field and the lilies that way. Don't you know you're much more valuable? Look at the birds. They don't store away in barns. You ever seen a bird pulling out something from an ATM? (laughs) They don't have bank accounts. They trust God, their creator. And right in the middle of that, right in the middle of that, Matthew 6, here's what it says. Oh, you of little faith. And And I go, yeah, that's me. And when the church fails you, don't give up on Jesus. Because listen, the church is a very, very, very imperfect entity. The church fails the church. God's people fails God's people. A lot of the print in this holy inspired book is about God's people who failed one another. And the schisms and the divisions and the assumptions, wrong assumptions. And ultimately our hope is not in the church, it's in Jesus. Thank God we're not marrying one another. We're marrying Jesus. And we get married to him, he's going to perfect his bride, and that'll solve all our problems with one another. The only perfect forever relationship we'll have with the church is when we're married to Jesus. The second thing God gave me. God's sometimes frustrated with a world of unbelief, even among his own people. (laughs) <laughs> I got so many scriptures, and they, you can get them online. I don't have time to give you all of them. But one of the ones I just, every time I read it, I can't help but laugh. And uh, it's Exodus. Uh, after, after Moses graduates from God's seminary, God's seminary, not man's seminary. There's a lot of people graduating from man's seminary. And you know what happens? They get puffed up with pride. They got a whole lot of knowledge, but they got no humility. And some of them, no, no humility and no faith. They got man's way of doing it, and they got a lot of book learning, and they got nothing to help them. I'm speaking generally, but that is generally true. Exodus chapter 3, I don't have time to read all the scripture here, but five excuses Moses gives. Now, he's the most humble man at this point on the face of the earth, 40 years on the backside of the desert working for his father-in-law, and now God says, now you're ready for me to use you, to be a, a deliverer in my hands. For my people Israel. And Moses makes five excuses. And the last one, you can't help but chuckle. Here's what he says. Verse 13 of chapter 4. Moses said, oh Lord, please send someone else to do it. But what I want you to get is not the five excuses. It's the very next verse after the fifth excuse. And here, let me read it. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. This is not just frustration. This is righteous indignation because Moses has no faith. Who shall I say send me? You tell them I am who I am. Well, what if they don't believe me? Well, I'll be with you. I'll show you my power. I'll have my power through you. And one excuse after another. And finally, God gets fed up and says, ah, he's angry. But it's not man's anger. It's God. It's righteous indignation frustrated and angry because Moses has no faith. Now, I need to say this before the third point. I'll just read it. God's frustration is not because of some personal ego he has, but because our lack of faith hinders our spiritual growth. And not just that. 
It prevents him from blessing us. And not just that, it prevents him from using us to bless others. Abraham, through you and your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham went outside, he looked at the stars, and he believed God. And God counted it to him as righteousness. And his belief allowed him to be the recipient, he and his wife, of a miracle child, type of Jesus Christ, that through Christ all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And through his faith, the nations have been blessed. Number three. When you sense God's frustration with your unbelief. Now, I could have said this a lot of different ways. When it's revealed to you, when you know about it, whatever. Thank him for his love and patience. And ask him to increase your faith. You ever stop and marvel at the love of God for the world and his patience? Well, not just the world, but even his own people. David understood it. David, when he wrote Psalm 8. Let me just read you a little section Psalm 8. He starts out, verse 1, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then verse 3, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you set in place, what is man? That you're mindful of him. The son of man that you care for him, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, the angels crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. And he closes the same way he opened, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He's marveling. And how much God has done for man. Man so undeserving. Man so sinful. Man so imperfect. And you stop and think about it and you marvel because you have to marvel because God didn't have to do anything. It wouldn't violate his holiness not to do anything. And God, listen, we, we created the problems. Not God. But as much as those points are valid, as much as those points may, may speak to you from the Word of God, there's one last thing the Lord said to me, and when He said this to me, I felt in my spirit. I just felt in my spirit. I'm not trying to be you know, weird or anything like that. I, I'm just telling you, I felt in my spirit. Somebody needs to hear this last one. Somebody need, this is a very personal, personal point for somebody. And it was this. It had to do with the sovereign working of God as a result of the church failing this father and his son. This was a fascinating and wonderful revelation for me. In the divine and wise sovereignty of Almighty God, these disciples are not able to help this father and his only child. And if they had, if they had been able to help, his son would have been delivered. Hopefully he'd have been thankful to the Lord, but he'd have never had the personal encounter with Jesus that he did. And it is possible because he didn't have the personal encounter with Jesus that his faith wouldn't have had the opportunity to grow the way it did. I've for years seen, um, seen this. I saw it in Christian college. Um, I, I saw students there, and I'm, I'm, I'm radically saved, radically saved, drug addict, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I don't want to go back to any of that. And, uh, and yet I, I'm meeting people there that you just go, wow, you don't know Jesus. You know, I, I'm meeting people there and they're out partying, doing the things I got saved from. And what I learned was there's some parents that were enrolling their children uh, at Christian college for, as a last ditch effort to help them, uh, to see them help from the drugs or the alcohol or the immorality or whatever, 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 you know, the world. And it was the kind of thing where it's not, no, we're not asking you if you want to go to college. You need to understand. If you're, going to, you, you're going to college, and you're going to this college. 
And they, it was sincerely motivated. I've seen the same thing for years now in the church. I've seen parents who bring their children to church because they want, they want the church to help them. Okay? Now, in case you're misunderstanding, nothing wrong with enrolling your child or children in Christian college. Nothing wrong with bringing your children to church. I wish children to church. I wish more parents would bring their children to church. But something is desperately wrong when a parent does these kind of things in an attempt to help their child or their children, yet ignores the reality of their own personal need for an encounter with Jesus. And if they already know Jesus... For an honest confession, oh God, I believe, help my unbelief. In other words, I'm going to summarize that saying, let's paraphrase that and say, look, help me to grow. When this man does encounter Jesus, the truth about his spiritual condition becomes evidence, evident, and thank God for his honest confession, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I haven't met too many people that don't believe in God. I haven't met very many people at all. I could probably count them on, on my hand. Uh, a lot of people believe in God. I haven't met too many people that don't believe in Jesus. But I suspect that I've met a lot of people outside of the church and in the church. And please understand, I'm not saying this self-righteously at all, at all. But I think I've met a lot of people in the church and outside of the church, certainly in the church. And it's, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus. And they may even be saved. Some of them I don't think are. But they may even know Jesus. But they're not growing. They're attending church. They're going through the motions. And guess what? Your kids know it. Your kids know you're just religious. Your, kid, your kids know there's no growth. They see it. One last little twist, and I, I want to be careful with this. We are not told, but I wonder, was there any responsibility for this father in regard to the condition of his son. Now, please don't misunderstand that. Nobody's going to be able to stand before God one day and say, it was my dad. That's how, why I turned out like I did. It won't fly. You can't say it was my circumstances. It was my environment. That just won't fly. Nevertheless, as mysterious as it might sound, and some people say it's contradictory. It's not contradictory. You can't blame your mom. You can't blame your dad. You can't blame your circumstances. However, parents do have an effect on their kids. When real revival comes to the world, the Bible is clear that it starts with the church. It starts with God's people. But let me go a little deeper. From a prophecy in Malachi chapter 4 that God will send Elijah, the prophet, before the great day of the Lord, before Jesus' second coming. As the earth is going to hell in the handbasket and things are going from bad to worse, the great tribulation, uh, there's going to be this final end times revival. And I believe literally, now I may be wrong, but Elijah's coming, and Elijah's going to have a ministry, and, and it's going to be powerful, and the Holy Spirit's going to do some tremendous things, and people are going to be saved, even out of the Great Tribulation, that's clear in the book of Revelation, and people are going to be saved, and not only are their lives going to be changed, but families are going to be changed. And here's the last part of the prophecy, listen carefully. Malachi chapter 4, verse 6, he, Elijah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And I couldn't help but type in my notes. What God does in the child's life is in direct, con direct connection with what he's done in the father's life. There's some dads that aren't here that need to hear this. But you can pray for them. That's what God gave me. And it's just a message from the Word 
unless we respond to it. Thanks for joining us today to study the book of Mark on the Living Word. You can check out more of Pastor Danny's teachings throughout the Bible at our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. We encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well to stay up to date with the latest teachings and videos. Feel free to share them with your friends and family. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or would simply like to talk with us, please send us an email. Our address is info at ccfstpete.church. Again, that email address is info at ccfstpete.church. Be sure to let us know how we can be praying for you when you send that email. In addition to that, we'd love to meet you in person. So if you're in the St. Petersburg area, join us for our weekly services at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. We're also live streaming our services for those who are at home or live further away. We look forward to worshiping with you. Find out more on our website. Once more, that's ccfstpete.church. Well, that's all the time we have for today. There's more to learn in the book of Mark. Pastor Danny will continue looking into this important gospel book right here on The Living Word. <music>